Hey now, say now, you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I am here in the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon, at the Living the Dream Studios. And before I introduce the very special guest that we have here today, I do want to make sure I make one quick announcement. This Thursday, we will be having the Street Roots Family Breakfast. It'll be a virtual breakfast. It'll be hosted by myself and Maggie Vespa of KGW News, which is Portland's NBC affiliate. Um, This is the biggest fundraiser for our organization each year. You learn so much about what's going on with Street Roots and what we're doing here in the city of Portland. Obviously, being that we're in a pandemic, this time around, we do have to do it virtual and it'll be a news broadcast edition. So definitely something new, but we'll be very informative in in telling you all of the ways that we've had to pivot this year in 2020 amid uh, pandemic, amid being in a social justice climate like we're in today. And obviously we've had some wildfires and things going here um, as far as the nature is concerned here on the West Coast. So there's so many things that we've had to do different this year and you can learn all about it. So make sure you go to streetroots.org to be able to purchase your ticket. Now that we got that all wrapped up, we do have a very special guest here on the line today. Um, He's a retired NBA player. He played about 10 years in the NBA. He's also an author. His most recent book um, was We Matter, where he really touched on athlete activism heavy uh, amongst a wide range of athletes. Um, He's currently a writer at Basketball News. He also does some broadcasting himself. Etan Thomas, thank you so, so much for joining me here on the Wake Up and Wham podcast, and I'm very glad to have you. Oh, thanks for having me, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Can't complain. It's a little bit earlier over here where I'm at, about 7 a.m. I know you're on the East Coast, so it's 10 a.m. Uh, your time. So I'm making right. sure that I'm making sure that uh, I, you know, knock this thing out here before I have to head into work myself. So uh, I'm glad to be up this morning and, and chopping it up with you, man. How are you? Man, I'm good. I'm blessed. You know what I mean? Just, you know, homeschooling with the kids and, right. you know what I mean? Being at the house quarantine, looking at all this craziness, doing a lot of writing, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's just jump straight into it, because obviously you acknowledged your writing here. And I want to talk about the most recent piece that you wrote for basketballnews.com. It was a piece about Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal following the verdict of the the Breonna Taylor case. Um, Mm. You wrote this piece because they went on on NBA on TNT, Inside the NBA, which is their show that they do um, prior to and post many of these NBA games and obviously NBA playoff games. And they both said some things that you didn't quite agree with. And you said that they didn't give you enough context and there were some facts missing from some of the things that they said. So can you just start off and saying um, what was some of the critique you had of Shaq and Charles Barkley before we dig deeper into the article? Oh, goodness. I mean, I I, I thought it was just morally irresponsible. (laughs) That's the way I can say it. I thought it was disrespectful. I thought it was disrespectful to Breonna Taylor, um, you know, her family. I thought it was disrespectful to all of the, um, the, the, the activists that have been taking up her, her cause, all the NBA players who have been passionately, you know, you know speaking about this. And, and si- since they started the entire bubble season, you know, I, I thought it was just disrespectful all around. And I, I just, it just wasn't factual what they were saying. And, it, it, you know, it, they, they, repeated false narratives and then made their conclusions based on those false narratives, not on actual facts. 
I mean, I just had a problem with it all around. Yeah, I mean, yeah I just, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, in, in one case, obviously, there's some insensitivity around the situation because they're doing it and speaking about it just after the verdict came out, where essentially the murder of Breonna Taylor absolutely had nothing to do with the actual verdict that came out and the charges that were made to Officer Brett Hankinson. Um, but I want to talk about some of what Shaq said, because Shaq, yeah. I think, Although he agreed with what Charles Barkley said, I think Shaq tried to create a narrative where it was policy versus actually arresting the cops of Breonna Taylor, where essentially he was saying that the cops were doing their job and that they shouldn't be, I guess, in trouble or arrested and that we need to more so look towards policy and being able to change that. Where do you kind of stand on that fine line of obviously many of us wanting to see policy changes such as like the no-knock warrant, for example, and then people actually wanting justice in this particular case and wanting those cops that murdered Breonna Taylor arrested? Well, people that talk about policy, I mean, they have to remember slavery was legal. You know, segregation was legal. Um, all of those things were definitely legal. So it's not like you can use that as a backdrop to be able to, you know, okay something because it was legal. Legal yeah. don't mean anything. You know what I'm saying? That, 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 that shouldn't even be expressed, you know? I mean, yeah. every, lynchings were legal. You know, that, they were actually legal for them to lynch a black man. That was legal. For them to sell us, you know, from place to place, all that was legal. So. For a black man to say that is just ridiculous it, it completely. Um, you know, but there, there was, I mean, there's so much, we could, we could dissect it all because there was so much wrong and it wasn't even a long segment. There was just so much wrong with everything that they said. Yeah. And, you know, we, we could just go, but that part, as far as they was just doing their job, I mean, that was, I mean, even, even, okay. So even in saying they were doing their job, they weren't doing their job correctly. I mean, so even if they were going to do a no-knock warrant and they just recently, you know, um, instituted there or passed the Breonna Taylor law and which, which they're, they're outlawing um, no-knock warrants, in, right. in, which is great. Um, but even in executing a no-knock warrant, everything was wrong from that. You know what I mean? You had right. people that were never, that, were, that didn't work together, so they didn't know the strategy with each other. They, they had all been a part of a different botched case um, a year or two earlier where they didn't do that correctly. You look yeah. at all of their different histories, except for the Brent uh, Hackinson, that's his Brett, name? Brett, Brett Hankinson, yep. He shouldn't even been a police officer. All of the different things about sexual assault, all the different you know, accusations of, of um, excessive force, all those things. So they, they shouldn't even been on the force, number one. And when you look at the, 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 the witnesses who said, okay, you, 10, 11 people said that they didn't hear them announce anything. Then you have one witness who at first said no. Then they did again, he said no. Another time he said no. Then on the third time he said yes. I was like, okay, wait a minute. What happened from all those three, three or four times to make him say yes, he heard the police announce something on the fourth or third time they interviewed him? Yeah. That should raise suspicion. Why would he change his story? 100%. You know what I mean? But you Absolutely. have all the, people, all the people who said they heard nothing. So, so even if you're looking at the details, you're going to say that they, they're, they're, they're um, you know, just serving the warrant and doing their job. The way that they did it, if it's supposed to be a, a they, they decided to change it at some point to be a knock warrant, right? right. So they're right. knocking, they're knocking, right? Regardless, they, they, it was a no-knock warrant, but they knocked. For you not to announce yourself in a state that where they, they have stand-your-ground laws, 
they are in the state. Yeah. And it has been used numerous times. So then at that point, it's civilian to civilian. So somebody who knocks on your door, you have the right to be able to protect your home and your property and stand your ground. And he had a licensed gun. I mean, that, that, so, so you, for you to just say, well, for Shaq to say, well, he shot the cop first. I'm yeah. like, well, hold up. You have to give context to that. There's a whole <laughs> lot else that happened, you yeah. know what I mean, leading up to that. And I just thought it was irresponsible for them to present it the way that they did. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and just more so, it's interesting you say that because in the article, you acknowledge that, and I'm proud you did that, you know, this is a TV segment where obviously they may not have had enough time to be able to give this context. But the reality is when you're speaking to this particular situation that Mm -hmm. these players are taking so seriously, that obviously many people in the public are taking seriously. You don't even bring up what it is that you brought up. If you can't give the pop, if you can't give the context necessary, don't speak on it. Don't speak on it. Exactly. (laughs) And and I love it. Or you don't speak on it. Yeah, yeah. But if you don't speak on it, was, speak on it all the way. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And that was my issue. I don't have no problem with them speaking on it, but you got to present it the right way. You got to, you know what I mean? You got to yeah. do your research. You got to be able to present facts. You can't Absolutely. do how they do. 100 percent. That's and that's part of the reason why I actually love doing what I'm doing now and even being able to talk to you on a podcast where it can be long form and you can give, you know, all sides of the game and be able to give the context necessary to whatever topic it is that we end up talking about talking about. And we'll definitely talk about a lot more here. But I do want to ask you about um, just some of your general thoughts on what's been going on in the NBA bubble and the WNBA bubble. I want to make sure to acknowledge them as well. Um, as far as kind of this fight. They yeah, the, the Wubble. Wubble. There you go, yeah, the yeah, Wubble. The Wubble. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got it. You got it. Um, I want you to just kind of share some of your general thoughts on, you know, what it is that they've been doing. Obviously, you've spent some time in the league, and I would imagine you could see a drastic change from even the time that you were in the league and the fight for justice than in comparison to right now what we're seeing amongst both of these leagues. Just speak to some of your general thoughts and what's going on now, maybe in comparison to back when you were playing. Well, I think it's a different league right now. I think one of the things, and, and, I, and I'll say one of the biggest differences, is you have uh, Adam Silver instead of a David Stern. Mm. Um, I think a lot of times people forget that um, under David Stern's watch, Mahmoud Abdul-Aruf and Craig Hodges were both white-balled out of the league. That right. was under David Stern's watch. Yeah. You know, I mean, the reason, one of the main reasons why MJ was so, you know, quiet is because David Stern constructed um, and orchestrated this atmosphere where he wanted to, and, and you have to give him credit for where he took the NBA financially, the yeah. way he took them as, as in marketing wise and across the globe. But what he thought in his thinking was that you don't you want to do anything to ruffle the waters a little bit. You don't want to right. do anything because that's going to affect your bottom line. And yeah. that was his mode of thinking. So the reason why you had a certain um, environment that, that where nobody rocked the boat was largely due to what David Stern wanted as far as nobody to rock the boat. Right. Very interestingly, though, he was okay with Donald Sterling being the racist Donald Sterling of the Clippers for a ah. decade and having, and having the record yeah. for most um, discrimination lawsuits against him in, in California history for a decade. Talk but, about any time. But, we'll, but, we'll, <laughs> we'll go. But, see, but now with Adam Silver, and I had a chance to actually interview him twice. I interviewed him for my book. Uh, we Matter, and I interviewed him for my uh, podcast, The Rematch. And I asked him point blank, I was like, would you um, punish anyone for using their platform and speaking out on an issue that you disagree with? 
Because that's always the caveat. Yeah. Anybody can applaud somebody for speaking out on something they agree with. You see people do that all the time on the right Absolutely. and the left. You know what I mean? Everybody does that. But the, the caveat is if, if you can appreciate their right to speak, even on something that you disagree with. And he said both times, he was like, no, I would not punish anyone. He was like, it would be ridiculous of me to do. I asked him if, if um, he would have punished Craig Hodges and Mahmoud Abdul-Aruf if he was the commissioner then. And he didn't want to say anything bad about David Stern. I respect him for that. Right. But he said that I, don't, I didn't see anything that they did and that warranted being punished. Um, Absolutely. Talking about Craig Hodges, he was like, well, you know, I would want you to be able to present your, your objections respectfully. And that's what Craig Hodges did. You know absolutely. what I mean? In the form yeah. of a letter, you can't get no more respectful than that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so when, but when you have somebody that creates an atmosphere like Adam Silver, you know, it just makes everything more comfortable because now you don't have over your head, which is something that I heard when I was playing, to be careful, you don't want to end up like Mahmoud Adur for Greg Hodges. Uh. Now he takes that part out of it because he's welcoming it. And, and now you see that trickle down to all different teams, even teams that may not have been on board with that. He's the commissioner. And he's on board with that, so you have to fall in line. So that's one. Then there's a second one is you have LeBron James. Mm. And mm. LeBron James, who is the top of his craft, the t- you know, he is, he is the man using yep. his voice and his platform the way that he is. So when he does it, and he's the top person, he, 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 he destroyed the myth that says, if you do, you'll affect your financial, you'll affect your marketing, you'll yeah. affect your endorsements. Yeah. He destroyed all that. He took that all out the water. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Oh my God. So now all players seeing that was like, are like, okay, if LeBron can do it, you know, and they're inspired by him. I also, I interviewed John Wall in my book and he talked about specifically being inspired by watching um, LeBron James and Carmelo and D Wade and Chris Paul. Remember that time during the ESPYs when before the ESPYs, they spoke about Black Lives Matter and police reality. He talked about being a young cat, seeing them and being inspired by them. So, so, so LeBron is inspiring his peers. So now you're seeing a whole environment with those two different elements where you have guys that are just willing to speak and use their voices all the way down to the new draftees. I was watching this thing on NBA TV and the draftees were talking about how they're watching LeBron and being inspired and they could use their voice and how they, you know, their, their, their bigger place in society and everything like that. So got to give the props to LeBron. Even if you're not a LeBron yeah. fan on the court, I'm talking about more than just the court. You know Absolutely. what I mean? I'm talking Absolutely. about beyond the court. Court is something, uh, right? Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because I was going to bring this up once we started to talk about the NBA Finals, and we'll definitely get there. But let's just get straight to it now because you did acknowledge LeBron in the way that you did, and obviously you acknowledged how Michael Jordan was different during you know mm-hmm. that era that he played in, obviously. Um, and they just had two different approaches in regards to um, their political beliefs and at least being able to stand up on what it is that they did believe. We're in a year, you got the GOAT debate happening constantly. Obviously, LeBron being in the NBA Finals right now, if he's able to come out and win, a le- and win another ring, that'll be huge for him. Um, obviously, you had Michael Jordan and his documentary come out this year. So a lot of people that were on the Jordan bandwagon felt like their thought on him being the GOAT was reaffirmed with the documentary that he was able to put out this year. But speak to, forget comparing the two on the court, speak to LeBron James and what he does off the court. And does that have any significance when it comes to the GOAT debate between he and Michael Jordan based on, you know, the social 
impact and influence and the political impact and influence that LeBron James does have, amongst other things. Well, well, let, well let, let me just say about Michael Jordan first. You know, I've seen growth in him, and that's all we could do is is is, is allow people the the space to be able to grow. And you know, I, I remember I was part of a, a fundraiser that he did, you know, before President Obama was President Obama, um, and he 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 created it. And you know, MJ got all different players and you know all the different stars and everything like that. And created this big found you know fundraiser, and from that created a lot more fundraiser and supporting um, Obama to to go to his first term. That's growth, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, yeah. I'm looking at him now, seeing the you know him speaking out about Black Lives Matter, speaking out about different times where there are um, instances of police brutality, um, different things that he's doing, and I can appreciate the growth. Yeah. So it, it, it the, the the and that's a common question that I always have is you know kind of compare because MJ is always the antithesis of the athlete activist. Right. And I understand why. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The Repo Republicans by choose too is probably going to haunt him for the rest of the days. Yeah. And I, I understand his time in in Chicago. He didn't say a lot of things. I I interviewed Craig Hodges and he talked about how you know what the what the what the NBA players did this year with going on strike. He wanted MJ and Magic, he approached them yeah. to do that same thing in the NBA Finals in 91. And if everybody rem remembers what was going on, that was right when the Rodney King verdicts came out. Yeah. And so Craig Hodges was like, we need to make a statement right here. We can do this right now. And they was like, no, we're not doing that. Both Magic and MJ. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But now you see growth. So yeah. I got to be able to you know, talk about the growth. I played with MJ for two years here with the Washington Wizards. And even at that point, I was seeing growth. You know, a lot of things that I saw him do in the community that, that he didn't tell anybody about. And yeah. I saw that with my own eyes. Yeah. I'm sitting here watching him do this amazing thing. And, and I asked him one time, I was like, don't you tell anybody any of this? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because yeah. People think a certain thing about you. It would help if people knew some of this stuff. And he was just like, you know, I, I, I don't do it for that reason. And yeah. I'm like, all right, I know, but I'm thinking like, yeah, but it'll help people not talking so bad about you because 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 if they don't hear you do anything, they assume that you don't do anything. Right. And there's a lot that he does that nobody knows about. And so you know, but that's that was his choice. He didn't want to tell. But now you see him doing a lot more and making it public. And I think what he's grown into understand is that then becomes not only inspirational for other athletes because he is Michael Jordan. Um, even though he's been retired for, you know, decades, he's yeah. still Michael Jordan. Yeah. Um, but he realizes the missed opportunity that mm. he had back when he was playing with the Bulls. Yeah. And he, taught, he touched on it a little bit in the last dance, if you remember. Just a little bit in it. Yeah. But he, he you know, as you get older, you get wiser and you start reflecting and there's there's growth. And so I got to talk, you know, I want to talk about the the – appreciation of seeing somebody grow. I think that that's very important. That makes sense? That's 100%. Makes perfect sense. But but now I do still want to, I'm glad you acknowledged that, but does the social impact that LeBron has had during the opportunity that he didn't miss in the way that Michael mm -hmm. Jordan did miss it while he played, does mm -hmm. that boost LeBron a bit when you're having the GOAT debate in particular? Because LeBron didn't miss that opportunity. Right. So for me, it does. 
Yeah. You know okay. I mean? But yeah. but if we're just, but but usually when people are talking about the goat conversation, they're just talking about strictly on the court. Right. And that's just something that's just going to be debatable for the rest of time. I mean, we we can yeah, yeah, we yeah, can yeah, turn yeah. on Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp and see that debate <laughs> for any, any day of the week. You know what I mean? Absolutely, one hundred percent, and one hundred percent. But I, 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 we got Etan Thomas here, so I'm glad to know that for Etan it does. Maybe everybody yeah. else they can have their right. own debate and talk right. about it at their own barbecues. But for Etan, right. it matters. So yeah. I'm happy to hear yeah, that. Sure. Um, but let's just talk about the NBA Finals right quick. Obviously, the Lakers are up two to one. They seem to still be in control, even though Jimmy Butler had a heck of a game last night. Fantastic game. Had a fantastic (laughs) game. 40-point triple-double. He he absolutely balled out. And and he's a star in this league. So, you know, you expect him to erupt from time to time the way he did last night. But it's a 2-1 series. Obviously, you know, we're going into game four. What are your thoughts going forward in this series? Do you think Miami still has a puncher's chance? Or do you think the Lakers are still in the driver's seat and will wrap this thing up? Well, I think the Lakers are definitely in the driver's seat, but um, you have to respect Miami's, you know, grind. And that's how they got to this point. Um, They've been the underdogs the entire season. I mean, nobody had them. I'd probably say nobody outside the Miami locker room had them beating Milwaukee in the first round. Nobody. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, and and then they, you know, swept Indiana. Then they they beat Boston. And I don't think a lot of people had them beating Boston. So they've been in this underdog role. And I'm really happy for Jimmy Butler. I mean, you know his story because they, they've played it a couple of times where he's homeless at 13 and just as but, – but even even beyond that, the way that he was castigated as a cancer to a team mm. for many years in Minnesota, in Chicago, it was like he was like a cancer, a bad person. And it's just amazing to me how winning cures all, you yeah. know, because, because if, you're, if you are winning – then everything that you're that you're doing to get there is glorified. Mm. But if you're losing, then that same thing is criticized. Right. Same exact thing. Nothing changed. For sure. Right? Yeah. And that's to that part. But but I gotta give props to, you know, um, um it's unfortunate that Bam Adebayo is hurt. Yeah. I'm glad that, and because it's the NBA finals, and I'm glad that either he or they or whoever Sorry for the technical difficulties. Right, We're right back, buddy. Tan, I just want to uh, ask you real quick, just to wrap it up for the NBA Finals. You said that the Lakers are in the driver's seat. How many games, now that they're up 2-1, how many games do you think this thing will end in? I mean, I, I suspect that Miami's going to keep swinging. And, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen with the injuries. Um, you know, I'm glad – Bam Adebayo is taking care of himself. I hate seeing players go out there and they're injured and then injure themselves more. Like KD. Yeah. yeah. Like RG3 out here right. in Washington. You yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to see that at all. And, um, you know, but I, I, I think, I mean, Jimmy Butler just kind of willed them to win last night. I mean, yeah, he, he just, did. He really did. I was like, man, I mean, he had 40, a triple double with 40. You know, my thing, my thing is with that though, Etan is Jimmy Butler. I think one thing that's great about Jimmy Butler is that he's consistent. He's your 20 point per game score. He's always going to have a big game on the defensive end of the ball. Um, One of the better two way players that the NBA has in its league. But I also think that Jimmy Butler was kind of due for an eruption like he had last night. 
I don't think, yeah, you know, I don't think we can expect Jimmy Butler to have another 40 point triple double for the remainder of the series. Now, (laughs) if it it was LeBron who did that, it's like, okay, he'll probably do it again at some point in this series. But with Jimmy, I just don't see him being able to replicate replicate last night's game again in this series. (laughs) I mean, that would be pretty tough, to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but he's playing amazing. So you, you, it's 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 hard not to root for somebody like that. For sure, you 100%. know what I'm saying. And, and everything that he's gone through. I mean, I gotta root, root for the cat, Tyler Hero. He's been playing phenomenally. Yes, you he know has. What I'm like he's been great. Uh, what they call him now, buckets. Like he's yeah, been, yeah, he's yeah. Been killing. He's been and balling. Just their, just their whole style, their whole gritty. You know what I mean? Grinding through underdog style, like is great. But you know, I mean, I. I I think last night, you know, AD didn't have one of his better games. Um, you know, it, it's just when the Lakers turn it on, it's they just it's just too much. You yeah, know what I'm I saying? Agree. It's overwhelming. Awesome. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. But yeah. you gotta give props to Miami for fighting. So as long as they keep fighting, you know what I mean? I'm gonna keep rooting for them. Absolutely. Um, I do wanna, I mean, we're still talking hoops here, but I do wanna transition because a couple weeks ago, about a week and a half or so ago. We actually got to hear from Allen Iverson on the mm. All the Smoke podcast. Uh, yeah. He was, a, you know, hosted by Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson. And I mean, for me, obviously, who grew up watching Iverson play, grew up watching you play. You two played in the league around the same time. Um, mm. Can do you have any nuggets about Allen Iverson, particularly when it came to the cultural shift that he bestowed upon the NBA? during a time where we'd never really seen a figure like Allen Iverson within the sport. We obviously know how great of a player he was, but is there any nuggets in, you know, during the time that you played in the league with Allen Iverson, speaking to his cultural shift in particularly that you can share with us? I I, I respect Allen Iverson and the fact that he's always true to himself. Mm -hmm. I remember when, when AI, um, you know, we talked about David Stern earlier and how he was a bottom line person and didn't want to do anything that affect the bottom line and how much he was against Allen Iverson, um, everything about Allen Iverson, because he was worried about how mainstream America reacted to him and how it would affect the bottom line. That's how it was for everything. I, I remember, I remember when you remember when the brawl happened in um, the Malice in the Palace. Yeah. And afterwards he went, he, he, he put us all in suits and wanted us to do. And again, that was solely because he didn't want anything to affect the bottom line and he wanted to make season ticket holders and the white public and everything like that feel different and comfortable. So so at the time, I took it very personally. Mm. Um, I wrote a lot of articles about it, being against it. I was part of the union and I remember being in the meetings and we're talking about percentage points and we're talking about basketball-related income and they're focused on dress code and you know all these different things of like nature. I'm like, and I'm like, well, if they're gonna be focused on that, we need to press up on these other things that they're not really focused on as much. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it was all, but it was all because they feared that the backlash that they would receive from white fear, which basically what it was, um, would affect their bottom line. And it was all business, it wasn't yeah. personal at all. Absolutely. And I took it very personally, but I'm looking at how even when I don't know if you remember when when Allen Iverson um, they airbrushed out his tattoos 
on, yeah, the, on the cover I of do. the book. Right. And they I kept recall. telling him to do it. All of that was business. It wasn't yeah. personal. It wasn't like he had something personally against hip hop, personally against, you know, anything. It was all strategically, you know, done for the purpose of maximizing his outreach and marketing. And so it's just interesting listening to Allen Iverson with that and talk and talking about how much of a fight it was for him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? To be authentic and to be himself. And I remember when all that was happening because I was in the league. Yeah, watching, yeah for talking. sure. So, Absolutely. So it was, I thought it was a great interview all around. I mean, Allen Iverson, you know, he's like an open book. You know, yeah. he'll tell you his faults. He'll tell you, I mean, when he talked about his, his marriage and how, you know, he was like, he wants to, he said he wants to tell younger people and younger guys mistakes that he's made and be honest and authentic with them so they don't make the same mistakes. And he talked about personal stuff, opening yeah. up about his marriage, opening up about his finances, people that he trusted who, who did him wrong, family, like all of that stuff. I was like, wow, that is, I mean, I had my son watch it. Yeah, you know absolutely. I, mean? I, I told my son's AAU team. I told them all, watch this interview yeah. about Allen Iverson. You for sure, I mean? because the, I mean, so I I have nothing but respect for AI all around. Absolutely, man. And again, going back to what I alluded to earlier when we talked about the Charles Barkley and the Shaq situation uh, and the whole Breonna Taylor commentary that they had, that segmented. It was so great to be able to see Allen Iverson just sit down and chop it up with these guys for two hours in a long form podcast setting setting because we don't hear Allen Iverson talk for two hours with anybody on a public level, obviously. So it was definitely a golden interview. And and I I am grateful that you actually got your young AAU team listening to the interview as well, because it was just gems and nuggets throughout that entire entire thing. thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, But I live here in Portland, Oregon. I just want to know what some of your general thoughts uh, on Damian Lillard and his presence in the NBA. Oh, man, he's the truth, man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, it's funny because I play against my son with 2K, and he he's he's running with Portland a lot ever since the playoffs and just lighting me up. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> he me the up. up the but updates I, I are killing you right now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, I'll, I'll be bumping. I'll be bumping. When we work out, you know what I mean? I got, you know, Dame Dollar, you know, because he, he, he raps and he got albums. I got it mixed into the mixtapes that we'd be listening to and working out go. with my son. I got nothing but respect for them. I yeah. love what, what happened with Carmelo, him going there and how he's blossoming. I mean, I love the way that the team, you know, entirely functions. It Injuries are unfortunate. It's part of the game. But, I, you know, healthy Portland, completely healthy, you know what I mean? Is I think it's a different story. But I got – listen, I have respect for Portland going back to when Brian Grant was there. You know, yeah. Brian Grant was my man. Yeah. So I, I've been had respect for Portland and what, you know, they, so it, it's – I love the fact that he has, Damon has this, this mentality where, you know, he's going to do it his way. He's going to do it and he's going to like, he's not going to follow the trend and try to join up with somebody else on a different team and stuff like that. He's going to stick it out in Portland and build his thing. I mean, I, I can't say enough good positive things about him and what he represents, all the stuff that he does, everything like that. So I, I have nothing but respect. 
Absolutely. But I love what you just acknowledged, though, and that's essentially the loyalty that Damian Lillard has to this Portland Trailblazers organization. I think ever since the decision that LeBron James made, we've seen a lot of these athletes kind of take their careers into their own hands and not be so loyal to these organizations, which, hey, I'm totally fine with because these organizations aren't the most loyal to you. They'll trade you in the blink of an listen, eye. Listen, <laughs> You'll find I out have, on Twitter. I, I said it completely <laughs> nonstop. I have zero issue with yeah. the decision. Like, I <laughs> applauded it. I yeah. thought it was great. If you hear talk, people talk about the way the organizations have done them, I mean, me, myself, like I said, the way I was, well, I found out that I was traded from the Wizards. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I was How did you find out? Ernie Grunfeld's office yeah. talking to him about them sending me to big man camp and stuff like that. I'm driving home. And I get a call from my agent that say that they just traded you. I'm like, I'm wow. you just this 10 minutes ago. Why didn't you tell me this right then? You wow. No, literally. Like, yeah. No, please. No. <laughs> they only talk about loyalty when it's, when, it's, when it's talking about players having loyal to the team. They don't yeah. ever talk about teams being loyal to players. Because uh, you ever that, the story about how Shaq found out he was traded? And that's Shaq. Yeah, yeah. You're wow, that's no, interesting. No, I I never knew. I, I listened to a lot of your content. I obviously follow you. I've done a Q&A with you for Street Roots, which folks uh, should still go check out. But I oh, never no, knew. A great interview. Yeah, that was a great interview. Folks should definitely yeah. check that out. It's still online. But, but I never knew that story about you being traded 10 minutes after being in Ernie's oh, office. Wow. Man. That's <laughs> yeah. news and to I'm me. Like, I'm like, are you serious, man? I'm yeah. here just in there in the office with you 10 minutes ago. So I literally <laughs> I literally had to turn the car around and go right back to where I was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, he could have just told me right there when I was in his office. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's just interesting seeing both of those dynamics, but I understand why Dame is respected on that. But I did want to acknowledge the other part because the other part, like you said, it's a trend, but I'm I'm grateful for the trend. And I know you weren't yeah. speaking it to it in a negative light, but I'm grateful that these players are, you know, partnering up and joining teams with other guys just yes. so that they can at least feel in control of their own careers uh, to an exactly. extent. You know what I mean? I, I'm exactly. grateful for both. Uh, so. No problem with it. Yeah. Well, you saw the way Dan Gilbert, you saw the way Dan Gilbert responded after after LeBron did that. Like, how dare you? Yeah, like, you know what I'm yeah. saying? I was like, wait a minute, you don't own this dude. Right. What do you think this is, slavery? 100 percent You know? <laughs> yeah. 100 percent But but before we close it out, I want to transition away from basketball. Um, it'll right. still have something to do with Etan Thomas's career, but this is a podcast where we heavily talk about the intersection of, of sports and politics, but I obviously love to weave in culture as well. What okay. was some of the significant, I guess, maybe warm-up or pre-game music that Etan, Tom, Etan Thomas listened to during his stint in the NBA or even back when you were at Syracuse and speak to the significance of some of that music? Okay, so first was all Wu-Tang, okay. uh, DMX, um, Onyx. Um, I was always trying to get into an aggressive mind state. Okay. And then sometimes I would listen to like, you know, I, I, my family's from Grenada, so I got heavy roots in Caribbeans. So I'd be listening to like Buju and Capleton and, you know, Sizzla, like his upbeat stuff. And, right. You know what I mean? Bounty killer. So it would always be like hype stuff. So I would always listen to stuff. So even when I like my like um, I coached my son's AU team. Yeah. And sometimes they like to listen to music and they asked it like, yo, now they have the little ear pod things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like, if we, is it cool with you if we have the ear pods in the layup line? 
I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I'm good right. with that. You know, yeah. because I understand how you get into a zone and you flow in and stuff yeah. like that. And that 100%. helps you into the so I'm all for that. I so before games, I'd be in the locker room bouncing, getting amped, you know what I'm saying, listening to DMX, listening to Onyx, you know what I mean, and getting into a mindset, and then that's how I played that aggressive mindset. Mm. So that's what I did. Very interesting how they play off of each other. But speaking of your son's AAU team, is there any music that they're listening to that you're hearing, you know, just being around them that is is sticking with the Tom Thomas a little bit. Obviously, a much different generation of music that they're being raised on. So I'm interested to hear what's sticking that they're listening to that you're kind of nodding your head to a little bit as well that we may not know about. I mean, it's tough, man. I'll be honest with you. It's a different generation. You know? but I, I, mean, <laughs> I would be honest with you. So yeah. me, me and my son, we go back about this all the time. There's stuff that we listen to where we have in common where, you know, he likes J. Cole, he likes Kendrick Lamar, and I'm like, cool, I'm rolling with them. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And, but a lot of this stuff, I'm like, eh, I can't really get with it. It's just a different style, just even the different sound. Yeah. Like, the, the way they're flowing is just completely different. I can respect it, because that's their thing. But it's just different. And then they have, you know, the local rappers, like the DMV rappers around, around here in D.C. Right, and right, that right. that sounds completely different, because they all rapping off beat. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like Silk the Shocker, you know. Yeah, back in the yeah, day. yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's just different. But you know, I've been I've been listening to a little bit more uh, Lil Baby. He turned me on Lil, Lil Baby's Baby. Good, I, yeah. Right. So I've been I was like, okay, I could get with him. You know what okay, I mean? I'm okay. Out, so I, I listen a little bit, but a lot of times I'm trying to let him listen to old stuff, old school stuff that I used to listen to, and he's feeling some of it. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so yeah. He, he's bumping Quali. He's bumping Damian Marley. He likes Black Thought and the Roots. Okay. He likes Nas. He li- yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Super dope. Last question for you, though, Etan. What do you, right. what do you, what advice do you have for young activists, whether it be within sport or outside of sport, but particularly young Black activists? Because I think there's a particular responsibility and it's a heavy load that you carry as an activist on top yeah. of dealing with the particular traumas that we as black people already have to deal with in society. So dealing with those traumas and facing those head on and then being an activist during that same time and and sort of playing this leading role for our community in a way, what would you say to young activists, like I said, particularly black ones that are kind of juggling and navigating through both of those elements? I would say, I would say read, Mm. read and learn. Um, learn how the athlete activists did before you. So when I was younger, I started reading about Muhammad Ali and Bill Russell and Kareem. You know what I mean? Those three in particular. Then I started paying attention to different stuff that Mahmoud was doing and Craig Hodges. And I just kept reading about, you know, John Carlos and Harry Edwards and all those people. And so I would say just read and learn. Yeah. And 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 so and that's the, the way. So when you are ready to go and speak out on something, you educate yourself on it completely. And you have to be able to know how to defend your position. Mm. Because the first thing that's going to happen is the opposition is going to test your knowledge of it and then try to see if they can, you know, um, kill the messenger because they disagree with the message. Yeah. And so make you look like you're not um, credible to be able to speak on this topic. So you got to be educated and ready to go, almost like in a speech and debate mode. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Speak out on things. And then... 
you you just have to just learn how to um you know be be fearless. And what I love about this younger generation is that they are fearless. Mm-hmm. They ain't scared. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I, yeah. I've been you know, so with, with my book, I was taught before COVID, talking right. in, in different you know universities, and everything like that. And I was telling them, I'm like applauding them, like the way that that y'all are, have this voice and this this fearlessness is great because that wasn't there when I was young with athletes. Yeah, you know what I mean. Athletes, cats was a little scared. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, for sure, for and sure. So now it's different, and then now also y'all got social media. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a you know fact. what I'm saying? Yeah. So you you could you could you don't have to wait and go to like I always say, imagine if Muhammad Ali had a Twitter account. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The power because that would be a radical ass Twitter. For sure. All that power. So that would be my advice to uh the young athletes and young activists. Absolutely, man. Well, Etan Thomas, man, I appreciate you so much for joining me here on the Wake Up and Win podcast. Tell the folks where to follow you, where to check out your work, all the things. That's what's up. So I'm on, uh, my website is etanthomas.com. Uh, my email is at Etan, I mean, my uh, Twitter and Instagram is at etanthomas36. And I write for um, basketballnews.com. Um, I write for, um uh, the Undefeated, I write for The Guardian, and I have a, a podcast called The Rematch under the um, basketballnews.com umbrella. So I, I'm doing in, in-depth in interviews with different athletes. I'm coming out with one this week about um, from Mark Cuban. Mm. Sat down and we talked about a whole lot of stuff. We yeah. talked about politics, Trump, Black Lives Matter, LeBron. Like, we went down the list. <laughs> so Absolutely. Uh, Look out for that one coming out. Absolutely. Well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go win. <laughs>